0: We just started in the year 2022, not 2002, but 2022. Uh, 20, and it has come in like a lion, hasn't it? Uh, we we were supposed to get 5,000 feet of snow, and uh, I, I, icicles the size of Empire State Building, and it didn't happen. You know, the weather has never been wrong before. But uh, anyway, I am so glad that Yuns are here be it good weather or not so good weather, uh, it is the beginning of a new year. God has given us another year. That means that we are one year closer to the return of Jesus Christ than what we were in 2021. And our Lord is returning. And so uh, we, we look forward to anticipation what God has for us through the course of this year. As He wills, as He wills, we will go through each, each day, knowing that the providence of God leads us. And speaking of the providence of God, I would like to talk to you on that subject today. Uh, but I want to use kind of a, a different passage to do that. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to look at the uh, Philistine nation back about uh, 3,000 years ago. Uh, you know, the Jewish people have had problems on their land since, since they got there. They, it's been a struggle with nations around them. <clears throat> but you know, you and I live in a time where we struggle also. Uh, you know, you, you go through something in your life and, and uh, you, you wonder, is, is God mad at me? Is God upset at me? Am, am I doing all the things I should be doing? Because if I'm doing all the things I should be doing, then God wouldn't be punishing me like this. It's kind of like God has got this big board of divine retribution, and he's got your name on it, okay? And, and you say, Lord, why, why, are you, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why is my life such a, such a mess? And why, is, why, why? why? And, and sometimes we get so mad, we shake our fists at God and wonder why these things are happening to us. We say, Lord, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I'm faithful in in attending church, and and I read my Bible and pray and support other people. I serve in the church. But why, why are these things happening to me? Well, that's what we want to answer today. Why do these things happen to us? I've entitled this message, God's providence, man's problem, or it could be God's providence, our, our problem. And many of us do have a problem with God's providence, and, and we often look at life and we never even think about God's providence. But anyway, let's look at the text, and then we'll talk about this. Beginning at verse 1, chapter 6 of 1 Samuel. Now the ark of the Lord had been in the country of the Philistines seven months, and the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us, how shall we send it to its place? They said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but you shall surely return to him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, what shall, we, what shall be the guilt offering which we shall return to him? And they said, five golden tumors, five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was on, you, was on all of you and on your lords. So you shall make likeness of your tumors and likenesses of your mice that ravage the land. And you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps, perhaps he will ease his hand from you, your gods and your land. Now there's some lousy theology, isn't there? Why then, verse 6, why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he had severely dealt with them? Did they not allow the people to go, and they departed? Now therefore, take and prepare a new cart, and two milk cows, on which there has never been a yoke, and hitch the cows to the cart, and take their calves home away from them. Take the ark of the Lord, and place it on the cart, and put the articles of gold, which you returned to him as a guilt offering, in a box by its side. Then send it away, that it may go." Watch if it goes by the way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh. Then he has done for us this great evil. But if not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Then the men did so and and took the two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. They put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the likenesses of their tumors, and the cows took the straight weight in the direction of Beth Shemesh. They went along the highway, lowing as they went, and it did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines followed them to the border of Beth Shemesh. Let us pray. Father, we looked at this account of what the Philistines did, and uh, Lord, I just pray, Father, may we get our theology right. This is just a bundle of mess that they were thinking. And sometimes, Father, we think in bundles of messes ourselves. Lord, help our minds and hearts and our understanding to be clear as to what you're perfect will is for us Father and Lord let us never be aggravated at what you have uh, caused and chosen for us in this life but Father knowing that your divine hand leads us and we're satisfied with all that you have for us in Jesus name amen seven months seven months the ark of God had been absent from the people of Israel it's like coming to church, and uh, there's no music, there's no prayers, there's no scripture. You're just going to sit there. I mean, they they gather together for worship for seven months, and there's no ark of God. And to Israel, the ark signified the very presence of God. To them, it was God's throne in the midst of His people, on the top portion, uh, which is called the, mor- the, the, the mercy seat, on the top portion of this, of this chest of gold was this mercy seat. And this mercy seat had on each end of it a, a cherub facing one another. A cherub on one side and a cherub on the other. And, and their wings were spread out toward each other. They kind of met in the middle. And in the middle of where those cherubs' wings would meet was where the Shekinah light of God would be. That's where it's shown. Once a year, as Israel had the tabernacle and, they, and, and the ark, and they, they placed it in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, once a year, the high priest of Israel would, would offer a sacrifice on the brazen altar that was, on, that was outside of the tabernacle on the east side of it. He would offer a sacrifice on the east side of the tabernacle and he would take the blood of that sacrifice and, and sprinkle it before the veil as he entered through the Holy of Holies and readied himself to enter into the holy place. But he would sprinkle it before the veil. He would enter the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat where those cherubs were at, the, the wings t- almost touching one another. He would sprinkle blood there on that mercy, on the mercy seat. That is the place where sin was symbolized as being covered or removed by the means of that sacrifice. So we read in Scripture that without the shedding of blood, there is what? There's no forgiveness, no remission of sins. And that's where this idea comes from, that Without blood, there, there is no covering. There's no remission. There's no forgiveness of sins that requires blood. I can remember some time ago that uh, a man had once said that, uh, that all Jesus had to do was just that, and our sins would be forgiven. Well, obviously, that's not what Scripture says, is it? God just doesn't this and forgive sins. It costs Him the blood of His Son. Now then, we who are on this side of Christ's atoning work should understand that our Lord had according to Hebrews 10:14 that he had by one offering Jesus by one offering perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Listen to what he's done in your life. Because of the work of Christ in your life, he has perfected he has perfected those who are sanctified. God has adopted you into His kingdom, and all of God's plan for your life, that is the good and the bad and the ugly, is meant to do one thing in your life, and that is to conform you to the image of His Son. That whatever happens in your life, God is growing you into that full-blown image of who Jesus is. That as, we, as we mature in the faith, that we should draw closer and closer and closer to who Jesus is in our life. That's God's plan for us. Sometimes it doesn't work because sometimes we get a little stubborn with God. Now, now I know nobody here at this church, but every other church in the world. But not this one, Right. We, we never get stubborn with God, do we? But once in a while, God has got to kind of uh, move us along, so to speak, and, and get us to where we need to be. You know, the Scripture says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And for some of us, folks, uh, we get uh, a rainy season quite a bit. And for others, it's just occasionally. But actually we all have to go through the rains, don't we? There's rains and storms and floods and fires that we go through in this life. And it's because there is something in this life that uh, you'll not find in glory, and that is sin. As long as sin is here, the rain's going to fall on the just and the unjust. Bad things, horrible things are going to happen to good people because there's sin in this world. But it doesn't mean that God has removed His hand from you. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 and 11 and 12. Let me, let me read this for you. Now, this is concerning the Old Testament uh, system of sacrifice. He says, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible... Listen, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never, listen, can never take away sins. That's the word of God, never take away sins. But he, that is Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Folks, Jesus Christ paid for your sins, past and present and future. It is done. It is finished. It is complete. Listen, folks, you, you cannot give God a sacrifice to say, well, Jesus did this, but I have got to do this on top of that. You know, You may hear people teaching that, but folks, there is nothing that we can do that adds to the benevolent act, the gracious act, the grace giving act that God did through Jesus Christ on Calvary. We cannot add anything to that. When Jesus said, It is finished, folks, it is finished. From from A to Z, from Alpha to Omega, it is finished. Now then, here we must pay attention to the actions, uh, the, the religious ceremony given by the Philistines in order to appease God. Because what they're wanting to do is they think, well, we need to do something that will merit favor with God. Let me ask you something. Do you think that you can do anything that merits favor with God? I don't think you can. I don't think I can either. If I could merit favor with God, you know what? I don't need Jesus. If God looks at me and says, wow, man, that was amazing. I, listen, if I could do that and God is that pleased with me, if I, could, if I could offer something of myself that would remove my sin, why would I need Jesus? It's ridiculous. I need Jesus because there is nothing that I can do to merit anything from God that He would ever be pleased with me. You know what God sees when He looks at us before we come to Jesus Christ? He sees Sin. God is not pleased with sin or sinners. Now, notice verses 2 and 3 of our text. Look at verses 2 and 3 of our text. It says, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners. And they said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? How shall we send it to its place? Tell us how we do that. And verse 3 says, they said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel... Do not send it empty, but you shall surely return to him a guilt offering. Well, that ain't going to work. I'm going to tell you right now. You don't offer God a guilt offering. You say, well, that's, that's enough. He says, then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Horrible theology. Let, let's just talk about that. Let me ask you this question. Do you suppose that God has ever changed His mind toward sin or sinners? You and I could offer all the guilt offerings we want. There is only one thing that God accepts from us. It's not our guilt offerings. There's only one thing that God accepts, and that is a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. Period. Period. No more after that. Sin, sin brings separation from God, and no person can ever appease God with any offering ever made based on their personal righteous acts. The Scripture says our our righteous acts are like filthy rags, aren't they? Isaiah says our righteousness are like filthy rags. This is exactly what the Philistines attempted to do. They thought that if they would offer or give God a gift that their guilt would be removed and therefore if this guilt is removed so would their pestilence and plague if I can get rid of the problems of my life if I can get rid of the problems of my life by making some kind of a, a, a appeased act toward God if I could appease God in some way that my life is just a, a, uh, a, a, a row of, of ease and, and, pain, and painless life then God has done a disservice for you and I how, how, how worthy would we be of life if everything we did was just a bed of roses you know when, it, when a ship is sent out to sea you know how to determine the, the seaworthiness of that ship it's not when it's on a smooth sea, but when it encounters what? A storm. Folks, you and I, I'm sure everybody in this room, if not, I'd love to see you. I would love to meet with you because you've got a special life. But I bet every one of us have gone through trials in our lives that are just horrendous. And you've and you've gone through that trial, you've gone through that valley, the shadow of death, you've walked off the other side of that and say, Lord, I never want that to happen again, but I would not trade that for anything else that's ever happened in my life. Because I knew that as I was going through that difficult season in my life, Lord, I understood more than I do now that you are with me. And I've, 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 I've encountered this many, many times before, that the, the more difficult the trial of my life, when I get through that, I understand something, that God was as close to me as he ever could be in the midst of all that difficulty. And what a precious gift that is. Just like David in a psalm says, when he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, that God is with him. You get to understand that. So, but sometimes we feel that God is angry and punishing us for not being as spiritual as we ought to be. So what do we do? God's punishing me. I'm not, I'm not, as, I'm not as spiritually attuned to things as I ought to be i don't i don't work enough i don't pray enough i don't witness enough i'm not doing any of those things I ought to be doing I, I do some of those things but i'm not doing it enough that's what we think and therefore because i'm not working enough for god i 'm not praying enough. I am not witnessing enough or whatever else you might be doing. I'm not serving in some capacity. I'm not doing all the things that I should do. Therefore, God is angry at me and he is punishing me. So what do we do? We work harder, pray longer, witness more, right? Because we think that that will appease God and make God happy with us. So if we do these things, then then God God be disappointed with us. He won't be any longer disappointed with us, right? If I do those things, God's no longer disappointed at me. We, in essence, are doing the same things the Philistines did. We are attempting to appease God by doing something that will take away our sense of guilt. I'm just... Lord I'm just, I'm just not Christian enough you know maybe I should become a hermit and hide myself in a cave somewhere in the hills of somewhere and live this uh, uh, life of poverty and chastise myself and beat myself penitential life Hmm. understand I'm not saying that we ought not do these things we absolutely should we should work and pray and witness with, with all that God all the energy God's given us we should do those things but we don't do those things to appease God so that God doesn't get mad at us we do that because why because we want to be obedient to him has nothing to do about earning more of God's favor and say, wow, well, yeah, this guy's really. No. We do it because we want to be obedient. We love God. We want to be obedient to his word. But some, sometimes people think that if we do these things, we might get God to, to think more of us and to love us more. They have better thoughts about us. Folks, that's not biblical. In Jesus' prayer to the Father in John chapter 17. Now you understand, John 17, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He is just a night. That night is his last night on earth. You understand this? That when he prays in John 17, the next day he's dead. So Jesus prays this high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And we come across a passage that ought to be of great assurance to us concerning God's love for you and I. You know, God loves us with an everlasting love. But would you just, if you want to look at John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, verses 20, 23, and 26. Let's look at verse 20. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Now, he's not just praying for his disciples. He's praying for believers after those disciples. But for those also who believe in me through their word. Well, that would be you. It was this word of God that was preached to you. It was preached to you. The Holy Spirit worked in your life, regenerated your hearts. You came to faith in Jesus Christ. The preaching of that word is the same preaching of the word that we have today in Scripture. Look at verse 23. So Jesus is speaking to those disciples and people just like you and I who follow them. Verse 23, he says, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. I want to ask you this question. You people question how much does God love me? Did the Father love the Son? absolutely and Jesus praying to the father says that you loved them even as you love me how much does God love you like he loves his son you are his children you are spiritually adopted into the kingdom of God you belong to him you are his child how much do you love your child would you sacrifice for your child if there was one slice of bread left in the home, and you had nothing else, to eat, and it was just you and your child, who would get that slice of bread, you or your child? There's not a question in my heart who would get it. How much does God love you? More than you could possibly even love your child. Look at verse, look at verse 26. He says, Jesus says, the, the last thing Jesus says before he's taken prisoner. He says, And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them. And I in them. Paul says, it is Christ in you who's the hope of glory. Folks, there is nothing that you and I could ever do to get God to love us more. He loves you like he loves his son. You are his special child. You are, listen, you are God's chosen elect people. You are the church, the bride of Christ, the household of faith. That is you. You are adopted into the kingdom of God. Listen, I don't understand how all that stuff works, but I know this, that God's thoughts are a whole lot more than my thoughts are. And God, and the Word of God says that God has brought you by His power into His kingdom. He's done that. He's going to hold you there. He's going to keep you there. You know, listen, you've been selected by the Father, You've been saved by the Son. You've been sealed by the Spirit. I don't know how God does that, but listen, I'm so glad that He does. I wake up every morning and say, thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Because I sure don't deserve it. Folks, this is God's covenant promise to us. It is not based on merit, but totally upon God's elective purpose and love for us on the finished work of His Son, Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection not only assures our eternal state, but it is the guarantee of our present and continued position in Jesus Christ. Therefore, no possible work we can ever do will merit our position before a holy God. Jesus did the work. We happen to be in Christ because of God's purposes. Now, but keep in mind, when we are commanded in Scripture to work and pray and witness, and we fail to do those things. And I know you may not ever fail to do those things, but sometimes, you know, folks, I do. Sometimes I just miss it. Kind of like my golf. Uh, I don't just miss the, the cup. Sometimes when swinging the club, I miss the whole ball. I miss it. Let me say something. (laughs) Work, pray, witness, read your scriptures, study, all that. When we fail to do, do those things, God's love is not reduced. God forbid that we have somehow fallen from God's grace. When we think that God thinks less listen, if God thinks less of you as his child, that His grace has been removed from you you know it's not like we join god 's football team and 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 God calls us into the office says, well, good news and bad news. The good news is you 're still going to be playing football, but the bad news is you ain 't going to be playing for us, you know. <laughs> That's not what God does. That's not what God does. When you're in his kingdom, folks, you're in his kingdom. He is the monarch of the kingdom. You don't go to the monarch and say, I want to be a part of your kingdom. The monarch comes to you and says, I'm going to bring you into my kingdom. That's what the king does. You become a citizen of his land, his country. That's what the king does. God called us into His land, His kingdom. It was His invitation to us. He keeps us there. We don't keep ourselves there. He keeps us there by His grace. We don't fall from grace. God keeps us there by His grace. The problem that we have in our disobedience toward God's will for us is, here's the problem that we have. When we don't do the things we should do, it's not that we love God less or God loves us less. The problem is just that we fail to respond to the truth of His word let's be honest with ourselves, that's, that's what happens. Here is His truth. Here is His truth. And we fail, to, we fail to go along with what His truth ascribes or subscribes for us. God says, this is the this way you're to live your life. And we fall short of that. We fail to respond to the truth of it. We backslide, as some say. We have deviated from a standard that God has set for us. But this does not mean that God loves us less. And so we must find a way to appease Him so that He won't punish us. Let's look at verse 9 of our text. It says, watch, the Philistine uh, priests say, watch if it goes by the way of the territory to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, now this, this is the tricky part, but if not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Do you believe in chance? Like at the football game. Here's this team, team A, team B. Team B, call it Heads or tails? Oh, you want, you want tails? Oh, I'm sorry. It's heads. Chance. Chance is nothing. You can flip that coin a hundred times, and sometimes it'll come up heads, and sometimes it'll come up tails. Is that how you want to live your life? Well, I don't know what's going to happen today. We'll see. Oh, yeah, rats, it's tails. They're going to have a Murphy's Law day. Isn't that wonderful? Our lives have been reduced to nothing more than chance. The luck of the draw. Uh, An unintentional circumstance. Is that how you live your life? Life is an unintentional, you wake up in the morning and say, I don't know what life's got for You know, and then the one word that I absolutely hate, and it rhymes with the word hate, and it's the word fate. Well, it's all up to fate. What in the world is that? Fate? Let me share this biblical truth with you. God uses all things to fulfill His decreed purposes. He will even use evil in order to promote His glory. You say, well, preacher, where in the world is that taught in Scripture? Well, I'm going to show you where it's taught. I'm glad you asked. I'm going to show you what's taught in Scripture. Proverbs 16, 4. Listen to what Scripture says. The Lord has made everything, listen, the Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. God is going to use all of, all of He's created is to give glory to Him, right? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let's, let's get this clear in our minds. As creator, God has every right to do with his creation anything that he wishes to do. Isn't that right? This includes, think about this. This is what God can do. This includes making donkeys talk, calming storms at sea, having fish provide tax money, walking on the water, bring plague and pestilence upon a pagan society or to make cows take a direct path to a particular place. Why do we think sometimes it is reasonable to think that the providence of God is at times our problem? God used all these things contrary to nature, contrary to nature you no, know, there is, quote-unquote, the law of nature. Well, God's decreed purposes exceed the laws of nature. God, God is not governed by nature. God governs nature. So why do, we, why do we seem to think that the promise of God is sometimes our problem? All that He does will ultimately, either in this world or the next, be for His glory and His alone. In Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8. Here's what the Lord says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. The Philistines are so concerned about their gods and the God's glory, and they're getting taken care of that they failed even to be repentant toward God even this much. This much. They would not even repent before a holy God. They They said, in fact, let's send him away. Didn't they do that? Let's send him away. What an erroneous view of God. So many people are so certain that life is made up of personal choices plus chance. Personal choices plus chance. That's what governs our lives, right? Chance is nothing more than risking your life on the scale of potential possibilities. Lord I don't know if it's going to be a heads or tails day but whatever I'm going to try to make the best of it the Philistines thought if we get a new cart and have it drawn by never before yoked cows and put an offering of gold in it then hopefully by chance God will deliver us from our problem let me tell you about these cows these cows just had calves do you know a mama cow and a baby calf are kind of like this, <laughs> like this, to take those cows and hitch them up to a cart and say, okay, those cows are going to, you know how far they're going to go? Nowhere, because they're not going to leave their babies. These cows defying the laws of nature because God governs nature. These cows made a, made a, a, a line For Beth Shemesh. You know what Beth Shemesh is? It's the city of priests. God says, I want want my ark to go back to where my people will worship and serve me. Send it back to the city of priests. They They left their calves, made a beeline to the city of priests. Friends, the issue here is simple. God is not looking for new things. He's not looking for new carts or milk cows. He's not looking for gold or silver. He's not looking for sacrifice to appease Him. What does God want? What does God want from you and I? Deuteronomy 6, five tells it very clearly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew chapter 22. When he's asked, what's the great commandment? He says the great commandment is love the Lord with all your heart and your soul and your might. And he says in seconds like it, love your neighbor, love other people as you love yourselves. The Philistines even begun to acknowledge, if if they even begun to acknowledge God as the sovereign Lord of creation, then the issue of the plague and pestilence would have been remedied, wouldn't it? If they just would have said, you know what? We're going to dump Dagon, our God, and we're going to look at the God of Israel and praise you, God. That, that would have remedied the problem, wouldn't it? but they, they ain't going to do that. Because folks, just like many of us, it, sometimes it's hard for us to let go of the God that we really love. And sometimes the God that we really love is entertainment and fun the God that we really want the God that we really want is like Egypt is like Israel when they were on their exodus out of Egypt and they says you know what we want to return to Egypt there's leeks and onions and garlic and melons we want to go we want to go back into slavery so that we can eat no no God says, listen, he says, I have a better plan for you. I'm going to give you a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And you follow that. You follow it through rainy seasons and sunny seasons. You follow it through war and you follow it through peace. You follow it through prosperity and you follow it through poverty. But when you get to the other end, there on the other end of it is the promised land that I, have, that I offer to you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And folks, there is a land that is out there as we cross spiritually, as we cross the spiritual Jordan someday, when the next heartbeat is in God's kingdom, in God's glory. And then we shall see Him face to face. And all these things that have happened in our lives will be meaningless to us because we will live in absolute ultimate beauty. And the bliss of knowing that it was Christ who's directed our steps all the way. Why would we be like the Philistines? Why would we be like the Philistines and try to appease God so that our life becomes easy? I would rather journey with God through all the storms of life Then, as the Scripture says, I'd rather do that than dwell in a tent of wickedness final thought do you want God to leave you alone as the Philistines did God get away from me get away from me like the people of Gadara when Jesus healed the man who had a legion of demons in him when he he took those demons and threw them into some swine a swine ran into the sea the community saw that. And instead of embracing Jesus for who he was, what did they do? Get out of here. The man who was demon-possessed, who frightened the community, frightened them to death. He's back in his, he's back in sane, and he's sane, and he's whole, and he's sound. But they would rather have business as usual. They'd rather have business as usual than God in their land. Folks, would you rather have God or business as usual? Would you rather have God or a life of ease? An easy road to hoe. Are you looking at His providential work as taking you to where it is best for you to be? We got a whole day before us No one knows what's going to happen 15 minutes from now, but God. Are you willing to put your confidence in Him? Then trusting in yourself. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you, Lord, even in this very bitter, cold day, Lord, that these good folks have come out. Lord, we're we're here to worship you. We praise you, Father, for your providential love for us. Lord, we are are guaranteed ultimate glory with you, and I thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen.